Today's reading is in Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 to 14, and so it reads, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham may come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. Well, good evening. My name is Marco and I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. Thank you so much for joining us uh, this evening. In the, in the event that you did not hear Tony, we're gonna find ourselves in Galatians chapter three tonight. Uh, and while you open or load your Bibles, let me just give you a quick update. Uh, tomorrow morning, uh, I would invite you to visit our website as early as 7 a.m. or you can do it later on in the day. And what we're doing is releasing a video for something that is called Holy Saturday. See, as the years have gone on and as we have observed Holy Week, we try to fill in the days, not just with Palm Sunday or Good Friday or particularly Easter Sunday. Uh, this year we're, we're adding Holy Saturday. It's also known as Silent Saturday. And so I would encourage you to visit the website tomorrow morning or at some point tomorrow to check out our Holy Saturday video. And Holy Saturday has everything to do with what is going on between Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. This is where Jesus' body lay in the tomb. This is where the disciples are laying low because they're tripping out over what has just happened and what could become of them. And so once more, I invite you to visit our website to check out that video and I hope it blesses you. In addition to that, this Sunday we have our Easter service happening at 4 p.m. Hope to see y'all then. Let's dig in to our text. Once more, we're gonna find ourselves in Galatians 3, verses 13 and 14. Well, as you walked into the sanctuary, one of the very first things that you will have noticed is the cross, the one that is behind me. When it comes to Christianity, when it comes to the God of the Bible, at the center of our faith is a cross. You see, in our day, in our time, we adorn <clears throat> the walls of our homes and offices with crosses. We even have cool names for that, we call them cross walls. We drop some serious cash to wear jewelry and apparel with the symbol of the cross. Many of us even have tattoos with crosses that have been creatively and intricately woven into the details of our skin. Many of us even include crosses on our biographies when it comes to social media so that people would know that we're believers. However, the cross was never a statement or symbol of fashion, but an instrument of public humiliation, torture, and death. It is said that the Persians invented this brutal form of torture and execution, but that it was the Romans who perfected it. Death by crucifixion was where an individual was placed with their arms spread out and their arms were either tied to the cross or nailed to the cross along with their feet. They were propped up on something called the mercy seat, which kept them from sinking into their diaphragm, forcing them to die a very slow, painful, humiliating, and agonizing death before a crowd as they were mocked, spit upon, and shouted to. 
It was on this very instrument that the Lord Jesus was crucified. If you do not know who Jesus is, let me give you a brief uh, introduction. Jesus is the Son of God. His name, Jesus, is a derivative of the Hebraic name Joshua, which means God is salvation. Christ is his title, and it means chosen or anointed one. He is the most influential person to have ever lived. More books have been written about him than anyone else, and he accomplished more in the three years of his earthly ministry that we could ever hope to do. We do not know much about his early life. We know that he was born of a virgin. His parents were poor. He had brothers and sisters. He worked as a carpenter with his dad. He was never married. He didn't have any kids. And he only traveled a few hundred miles from his home. And when he began his public ministry at age 30, he preached the gospel of God saying that the kingdom of heaven had come and he preached repentance to sinners and that they would place their trust in God. Jesus taught, healed, prayed, ate with sinners and lived a sinless life in perfect obedience to God. Throughout this time, the religious leaders of the day were threatened by him so much so that they tried to arrest him multiple times. They tried trapping him in arguments where they ended up being the ones who were trapped. And finally, they even persuaded one of his disciples to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. That's at uh, as little as $90 in our day. Shortly thereafter, he was falsely arrested, he was falsely tried, falsely condemned, and ultimately murdered on a cross. And yet all of this, according to the Bible, was part of God's redemptive plan where Jesus would, like a lamb led to a slaughter, stand and die in place of sinners in order for us to be reconciled to God. On the cross, the sinless Savior, the Son of God, bore the wrath of God for sinners to be redeemed by God himself. So let me pray, and we're gonna dig into this text tonight. God, as we come before you this evening, Lord, my prayer is simple. that our eyes would be fixed on Jesus, that by your spirit you would not only bring about your grace, but bring about conviction, that you would give us wisdom, and that we would see through the brutality the beauty of your work and redemption. God, may your word be sweeter than the taste of honey, even when it's difficult to approach. Holy Spirit, be with us this evening. Work in us this evening. Make us to be like Jesus this evening. So we ask this in your name. Amen. 
Well, in order to understand what Jesus accomplished on the cross, we turn to Galatians 3, where we're actually going to park in verse 10 for a moment. Before we get to verses 13 and 14, we're going to park in verse 10, because this brings us to the first point that you and I need to consider, and that is the problem. There is a problem, and the problem is that we are all sinners, meaning that no matter how good, moral, spiritual, or religious we try to be, we are all affected by sin. Therefore, here's what the Apostle Paul writes in verse 10 of Galatians 3. He goes on to say, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. I don't want to spend too much time here, but here's what Paul is saying. What he is saying is that anyone who tries to please God through their own self-reliance are not only under a curse, but they are without the Holy Spirit. In other words, these individuals are trying to earn a right standing with God through their own merit, their own self-reliance, and self-righteousness. When it comes to this little phrase, the law, we need to consider just a few things. First is, the law reveals to us what God loves and what he values. Secondly, the law reveals that we are sinners because no matter how hard we try, we cannot keep God's law. Finally, the law reveals that because you and I cannot keep it, we are in dire need of a savior. You see, the law cannot change your heart, but it will reveal it. The law of God is not simply about what is right or wrong, but what is true. Therefore, anyone who tries to keep the law through their own self-reliance not only fails, but is under a curse. Meaning, because they cannot please God, they are under the wrath of God. This is our condition outside of Jesus. We are sinners by nature and choice. We stand condemned, not clean, dead, not delivered, enslaved, not emancipated. As sinners, we are under deserved condemnation before God. Well, now that we're aware, clear, and faced with the fact that we are the problem, the grandeur of God's redemptive plan is that he does not leave us without hope. The Bible is not just Galatians 3.10. There is much, much more to God's work for us. If all we had was verse 10, then we would be nothing but dead men walking. But the daunting reality that we learn about in verse 10 gives way to the anticipation of verse 13 where Paul tells us, and this is what we'll spend the rest of our time, where Paul tells us that God does not leave us in our sad state of affairs. In fact, he purchases us out of them. 
You see, cultural slogans and pop psychology is both insufficient and inadequate when it preaches to just do better and pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and that truth lies within ourselves and you just need to be the best version of yourself. The Bible instead teaches that apart from Christ, we're actually enslaved, we are bondaged, and enchained to our sin. And frankly, we're just not as strong as we think we are to break the hold that sin has over us. We need one that is stronger than us. We need one that is stronger than these chains. And so let's consider what Paul writes in verse 13. Here's what he says. Christ redeemed us, excuse me, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. The word redeem or redemption deals with at least two things. First, to redeem means to be bought out of something. Kind of like when you're at the arcade, right? You give your cards, you redeem a prize, right? To be bought out of something. Second, in the context of the New Testament, redemption dealt with the marketplace where people were sold to the highest bidder. Therefore, when we put it all together, we learn that Jesus bought sinners out of their slavery in front of everyone. Christ publicly purchased our pardon, canceling our debt to sin with the credit of his righteousness. The wage of our penalty willingly with his life, Jesus released us from our bondage to sin and broke the chains of our unrighteousness through his death on the cross. Jesus purchased us out of our bondage with really, really good money. The ransom that Jesus paid to endure the wrath of God was his very own blood. To the Ephesians, Paul writes, in him, that is Jesus, in him we have redemption There's that buying out of. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And Paul explains how Jesus did this by becoming a curse for us. When we read that word curse, he's not talking about something out of a movie or a myth, right? What he is talking about when he writes the word curse, he is talking about specifically the wrath of God, at least in this context. So when Paul says that he became a curse for us, it means that the wrath of God that was intended for you and me was poured out onto Jesus. To the Corinthian church, Paul says it this way, for our sake, He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
What Paul is saying is that it's not that Jesus became a sinner or that he died on the cross because of something on his end, but that he bore the wrath of God that was meant for us on our behalf. Martin Luther, the German reformer, goes on to say, so long as sin, death, and the curse remain in us, sin damns us, death kills us, and the curse curses us. But when these things are transferred to Christ, what is ours becomes his, and what is his becomes ours. On the cross, Jesus bore all of our sin, all of our iniquity, all of our trespasses, the sins that everyone knows about, the sins that we know about, the sins that we don't want anyone to know about, the sins that we've been enslaved to, the sins that we are addicted to, the sins that have merited our own condemnation from the Father, Jesus bore all of that on on our behalf. This is why in verse 13, Paul quotes from the Old Testament in Deuteronomy. Going back to verse 13, he goes on to say, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. He's referencing back to Deuteronomy 21. It says, if a man has committed a crime punishable by death and he is put to death, you hang him on a tree. His body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. The point of hanging a criminal in this way was to expose his crime to public shame. Throwing their body upon a tree demonstrated that he was under God's curse. The cross was the tree Jesus was thrown upon. This is consistent with the words of the Apostle Peter. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. The cross is an offense because it forces us to look at the length God is willing to go for our redemption. Now this is both gracious and gruesome. It is gracious because though we were dead in our sin, Christ died for us so that we would be alive in him, forgiven, redeemed, new. It is gruesome because it also shows us what God thinks about sin. Earlier this week, I was, I was hanging out with some friends, and one of them goes on to ask me, do you think when Jesus was young, do you think he was mischievous? Do you think he gave his parents a hard time? And I said, no, I don't believe so. Scripture doesn't show that, scripture doesn't teach that. And he goes, yeah, but I think maybe he was. And I said, no, scripture teaches that he was perfect and that he was sinless. Any stain would have ruined all of it. Here was the point that I, that I got away, like that I walked away with after that conversation. One of the things that I walked away with was how normal we think about sin and how little we think about Jesus. 
thinking that sin is normal says more about us and the condition of our heart than what we think of Jesus and his redemption for us. You see, oftentimes a sin, especially by Christians, is viewed as a mistake, something God will understand, or something that we just go on to say, my bad, I'll do better. But sin is not normal. Just because something is the way that it is doesn't mean that that's how it's supposed to be. What we may consider to be normal and simply human nature is exactly what Jesus died for. The simple fact concerning the cross of Christ is that until our sin is bitter, Christ will not be sweet. When we consider how normal sin is, what it really does is simply show how far from God we actually are. Here's the question. Is sin something normal to you rather than an enemy? Is sin normal to you as opposed to it being an enemy? Christ died on the cross for sinners. If you've ever wondered what God thinks about sin, look to the cross. I'm like, that's really gruesome. Exactly. See, here it's statement, it's a symbol, it's fashion in the first century. You wouldn't bring up the cross. It would be something that was incredibly rude and you wouldn't bring it up in polite company because of how brutal this form of execution was. So if you've ever wondered what God thinks about sin, look to the cross. But in addition to that, the focus of verse 13, let's go back to it once more. Let's read it one more time. Here it is, check it. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. That's great. By the curse of the law, by becoming a curse for us. That's the focal point of this verse. The focus of Jesus' redemptive work is in that little phrase, for us. Through Jesus' death on the cross, sinners are redeemed. And so finally, we come to the promise. We've looked at the problem, we've looked at the purchase, Now let us consider the promise. And this is in verse 14. Paul goes on to say, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. See, at the death of Jesus on the cross, Jesus cried out, it is finished, meaning the way by which sinners are now reconciled to God has been accomplished. And as a result of Jesus' victory on the cross, Paul reminds us of the blessing given to Abraham. What was the blessing? Right standing with God. 
In other words, sinners like you and me are and can be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Not by our own merit, not by our own works, not by our own righteousness. Redemption, redemption is not a second chance, it is grace given to sinners. Redemption isn't a second chance, it's being bought out of slavery. Redemption isn't a second chance, it is freedom. Freedom because you are no longer enslaved to sin. Freedom because you now have the power through the Holy Spirit to put sin to death. Freedom because you are now new. That you've gone from scoffer and sufferer to saint and son. That is who you now are because of Jesus' work for you. The promise of God's blessings come only through faith in the person and work of Jesus for sinners. At the heart of redemptive history, Christ hangs on a cross. What makes Good Friday good? For Christians, today is the reminder that we have been redeemed, we have been forgiven, we have been purchased, we have been cleansed as a result of Jesus' work for us on the cross. It is said that the wrath of God was met with the mercy of God on Good Friday. Today is good because the sealing of our redemption also takes place in his resurrection, meaning that after Jesus died, even death could not hold him and the grave could not keep him. Three days later, he resurrected from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing that for the Christian, sin and death have the same result, their own grave. Today is good because Jesus is alive and well. He is seated at the right hand of the Father in all power, glory, splendor, authority, and beauty. He will return one day to judge the living and the dead, and sin will be no more. He has promised to wipe away every tear from our eyes. Today is good. Today is good because the Son of God bore the wrath of God so that we might be redeemed by God. And so as we close, Christian, has sin become normal to you? What sin have you made peace with, Christian? What is it that you need to confess before the Lord tonight? Anger, lust, pride control, porn, selfishness, self-righteousness, self-reliance, whatever it is. What sin, I wanna ask this question maybe two more times, what sin have you made 
peace with, Christian. And as a result, have forgotten the redeeming work of Christ for you. The beauty of that same redemptive work is that not only do you have access to the Father, but because you have access to the Father, you can come before him tonight to confess your sin, turn to Jesus, and trust in him. But do business with that tonight, not tomorrow. And if you're not a Christian, thank you so much for joining us. You didn't have to be here, but you chose to be here. Thank you. And I gotta tell you, You are both dead in your sin and under the curse of God outside of Jesus. Yet I hope that you heard that God has made a way for you to be right with him and that is through faith in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. Confess your sin, turn away from your sin and place your trust in Jesus. Church, today is good because the Son of God bore the wrath of God so that we might be redeemed by God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for certainly gathering tonight. But we thank you for something even greater than that, and that is your son Jesus. Who entered into our world, who entered into time and space and lived a sinless life in perfect obedience to you, and then died on a cross in our place for our sin. God, Izzy said it really well earlier where when we begin to say thank you, it doesn't even cover it, but Lord, that is what we have. Therefore, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you for Jesus' redemptive work for us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit residing in us. The beauty of your word is that we have more than Galatians 3.10. We have Galatians 3.13 where through Paul you tell us that Jesus became a curse for us. That you did not leave us where we were. In fact, you met us where we were and have taken us to Jesus. God, on a day like Good Friday, My prayer is that we would come before you honestly, humbly, and boldly. Because it is the work of your son that has allowed us to come before your throne. May we do so as saints, may we do so as sons and daughters. May we do so because we are in need of Jesus every day. Father, we confess our sin before you. 
the ongoing sin that we tell ourselves, the ongoing sin that we confess to others, the sin that, that no one knows about. We confess all of that before you, Lord. Holy Spirit, meet us where we are and continue to transform our hearts for the glory of Jesus and our good. You are a good God, a gracious God. Once more, we thank you for Jesus. May we worship you loudly today because death did not have the last word. We love you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.